Why I Will Never Hitchhike Again by Will Rain. Hitchhiking across the country sounds a lot more adventurous than it is, especially to the very curious teenager I was back then. While I had a good bit of apprehension along with the irrational fear of getting myself so lost that I may never be found when I set out on that trip, I didn't realize that getting trapped in place could be so much more terrifying. At the time, I was afraid that I would never escape that haunting little shack, but nothing could have prepared me for what was really going on. Ever since I read On the Road by Jack Kerouac, the first of many books my father gave me before he passed away some years back, I dreamt of making my own long voyage across the many roads of America. My dad would sometimes talk about how much he regretted not taking the chance on a journey like this when he was younger, so... I wanted to do as much for him as for myself, perhaps more so. Having decided to take a year off after graduating high school, pushing my college experience back a bit, I thought this would be as good a time as any to begin my adventure. Aunt, or Anthony Ross to most, thought I'd lost my mind, claiming only a thrill-seeking nutcase would set out on foot with a perfectly good car parked out front of their house. My dad had left his prized Chevelle to me when he died, as he claimed Mom would never drive it worth a damn, being that she was not a fan of a straight shift in the least. Regardless of the gorgeous car that was bequeathed to me, this wasn't about the destination to me, but the trip itself. Maybe it wasn't the safest or easiest way to spend the time away from my studies, but I felt like I had to do this. Aunt still didn't get it, even after I explained my reasons, but he stopped giving me a hard time about it after acknowledging that my mind was made up. As it turned out, what I expected to be an invigorating, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity turned out both far shorter than I'd originally planned, as well as a great deal more terrifying. My mom was still trying to talk me out of it when I headed out that morning back in the fall of 98. Though she was a fan of Kerouac herself, the idea of her baby boy ending up dead in a ditch somewhere in the middle of nowhere USA was not her idea of a coming-of-age experience. She, too, backed off when she understood that she couldn't talk me down from the ledge, so to speak. I hit the road with a heavy pack on my back, filled with hopefully everything I would need, as well as a good 400 bucks in my wallet. Yes, Jack Kerouac didn't speak of such luxuries in his book, but as much as I wanted to somewhat follow in his footsteps, I wasn't prepared to risk going hungry either. Not only that, but the tent and some change of clothes for my time away would make things a little easier on me. I was adventurous, yes, but I had my limitations on things I could live without. I even had my dad's old hunting knife stashed away for good measure. The first... 24 hours went smoothly enough. A stop for food and drinks here and there, the occasional air conditioning bathroom break, as well as one or two visits to a nearby tree, but nothing to speak of. Honestly, it took the majority of the first day just to clear the city before I found a good spot to set up my tent for the night. Being that it was the first time I'd ever slept outdoors like this, I spent a lot of time tossing and turning before I finally passed out. After getting back on the road the following morning, I headed back to the highway I had been traversing before ducking back into the woods for the night. My stomach was churning pretty good, but now that I was well beyond the city I left behind, 
I wasn't exactly close to anywhere I could pick up some food. I was prepared for that when I set out on this trip, but that didn't exactly make me feel any better about it at the time. About an hour after heading back out, I managed to thumb a ride to the next town, one of which I filled my belly as I was able. I can't say I wasn't tempted to invest in a hotel room for the night, once my appetite was finally satisfied, but I wanted to see this through to the end, even if my enthusiasm was significantly waning. I didn't want to come off like I was some spoiled kid back then, tiring of life on the road after a day and a half, but I was already considering turning back by the time I found my next resting spot for the night. Funnily enough, as much as I just wanted to pack it in while I once more fought to get comfortable in my sleeping bag, I was more concerned about giving my mom and aunt the satisfaction of giving up than perhaps disappointing the memory of my father. Regardless of my feeble attempts to convince myself to stick this out until the end, about seven hours into the following day's walk, when the thunder cracked loudly from above and the world darkened around me, I had my mind made up. It was time to admit defeat and head back to the comfort of my home, even if Anne would likely give me shit about for weeks on end. Unfortunately, not only had I made it a great many miles from my hometown, but when the bottom fell out and the storm raged on from all around me, I couldn't convince the first person to pull over and offer me a ride. By the time I gave up on my pitiful attempts to garner transportation, I was already soaked from head to toe. I ran into the woods I'd been walking next to, looking for a good spot to hide out from the storm, uncertain if I could even hope to set up my tent with how strongly the wind was blowing. If nothing else, the thick and bushy trees provided me with a little more shelter than I had out by the road, but it wasn't much. I crouched down into an almost dry spot, somewhere far beyond the tree line I escaped through, pulling up the collar of my soaked jacket, hopeful that the monsoon would pass by soon. While I sat there, mentally beating myself up for making the ridiculous decision to head out on this miserable trip, the lighting grew more constant illuminating the darkened world around me for seconds at a time. Each time my surroundings would light up before my eyes, I tried to look around for anything around me that may provide shelter than the leaves and branches I hid below. It was during one of those intervals of stabbing bright light that I thought I could make out the roof of some sort of building off in the distance, just a ways deeper into the woods. I almost jumped for joy when I stood up to get a better look, seeing it far more clearly from a higher viewpoint. With my surroundings being hidden behind the darkness in between those brightened sparks across the sky, it wasn't the easiest thing to make my way through the dense forest with a heavy pack on my back. Still, even after damn near busting my ass multiple times, the closer I got to whatever building lay ahead, the more excited I grew about potentially being able to dry off a little. Were it someone's house, I could only hope they would take pity on me and allow me to enter their comfortable home. If it was a deserted cabin or something, perhaps I could find a door or a window unlocked. Even if I'd feel like a burglar or a squatter helping myself to the dryness of somewhere, I likely wouldn't be welcome. It didn't matter much to me at the time, to be completely honest. I just wanted to escape the storm before hopefully finding a way to get home when it let up. When I finally did arrive on the outskirts of what appeared to be some kind of abandoned old shack, the first thing I took note of was that the roof seemed intact. 
Yes, it wasn't exactly the lap of luxury, but it was shelter nonetheless. There was something of a clearing in the woods surrounding the small building, but when I crossed into it, another stab of lightning lit up the world around me. I was frozen in place, rooted to the spot, when I saw my shadow cast against the slender wall along with that of something else. When the light flickered once more, almost making me think of a blinking streetlight, the area lit up for a little longer this time. Long enough for the second silhouette to look as though it crouched down behind the bushes around the shack. At that moment, as I felt the presence of whatever it was that cast that other shadow, I took off running. Knowing full well that it could be nothing more than my paranoia at the time, combined with the exhaustion that was almost overpowering me, I was certain that it was only those quick bursts of light that were playing tricks with my eyes. That brief moment of logical thinking went out the window when I came up on the shack for a second time. I rationalized that I may have gotten myself turned around as I made my hasty retreat, regardless of the fact that I was certain I turned back the way I came. Perhaps it was a different shack altogether, one I simply hadn't noticed before, given that I could barely make out anything in between lightning strikes. Whatever the case... I wasn't exactly seeing reason at the time, especially when I saw the second shadow being cast against the exterior wall of the tiny wooden building. Again, I attempted to run, only to be led to that same damned wall with a hauntingly tall silhouette, something that felt all the more unsettling, given the fact that it was still crouched down when I arrived to meet it once more. I could clearly make out the slender, elongated arms that reached to the ground with the head looking to be around a half a foot taller than me. I still fought to rationalize this as nothing more than how the size and dimensions of shadows can be altered according to the distance between the light source and the object itself. I told myself it could just be a bird, perched on a tree branch overhead that looked as though it sat right next to where I stood, according to the light's reflection on the shabby split wood of the old shack. Whatever the case, I attempted to move away from the dilapidated building yet again, this time keeping my eyes focused on the one before me as I backed away. While the fairly constant lighting refused to allow my eyes the chance to grow accustomed to the darkness, I managed to keep my focus on the shack as I put more and more distance between myself and the roof I could still make out between the trees. With every flash... I could tell I was getting further away while I hesitantly paced backwards, feeling around for obstacles with my arms and the heels of my boots. As soon as I could make out no trace of the old shack, after spending God knows how long my far more cautious retreat, I spun back around to face whatever lay ahead. As you can imagine, when I turned to see that damned ratty old building almost right in front of my face, my legs felt as though they were about to give out. I almost planted my forehead into the wall before I reached out to catch myself when my lower extremities turned to jello, but when I backed up with my palms still pressed against the wall, the enlarged hand and elongated fingers of the shadow hand right next to mine inspired me to scream out like a kid squaring off against the boogeyman. 
I just took off running, paying absolutely no attention to which way I was going. My shoulders made contact with the trees I sped towards, pinballing me from one side to the next, while I damn near tripped over every fallen branch and dipped in the ground more times than I could say, every time I found the path leading me right back to that shack. I wouldn't even allow my feet to consider stopping. Even when the splitting in my side became almost intolerable, I wouldn't let up. As I sped away from and straight at that building over and over, I finally slid off my pack, not giving too much of a shit that everything I currently owned was held within. It wasn't until I came across the shack yet again, seeing my heavy backpack lying next to it, that I could no longer convince myself that there was anything logical at play. At that point, I gasped for breath, once more staring down at that same wall I had fled from in multiple directions. I finally gave in to the fact that I could not escape this place. My heart was thundering, just as much as the sky above me, while my feet, back, and sides throbbed as hard as if I'd suffered a severe beating rather than far too extended sprint through the darkened woods. I could feel the blank, silhouetted face next to my own staring into my eyes regardless of the fact that I could make out no such features on it. When it began to move, I almost took off running again, but I knew that would be futile at best. No. Whatever this was, whatever it may want with me, I understood now that I would have to face it sooner or later. I just watched on with the stabs of lightning flickering in such quick succession that it appeared as though the shadow moved in, stopped motion, shrinking smaller and smaller as it seemed to draw closer to the old shack I could not escape. When it finally stopped walking, shifting its posture in a way that looked as though it was turning to once again face me, it no longer towered over me. If anything, it was more like a child standing alongside my slightly more out-of-focus shadow than whatever sort of giant that had previously been. Whatever it was, it seemed as though it was waiting for me to approach, which I began to do before I even realized it. Even when my somewhat checked-out mental state guided me right up to the bushes that sat right next to the wall, my silhouette still stood a good foot or two taller than the other. My chest still beat like a drum as I faced off against whatever held me captive outside this dank old shed, but when the blurry head tilted as though it were looking right up at me, I once more felt that presence that sent me running before. I don't know what I expected to see, if anything, when I turned my head to the side to allow my shadow to glance down upon what sought its attention, but no scream breached my lips when my eyes finally met the source of that second silhouette. She looked to be maybe twelve, thirteen, with her dark hair knotted and clumped with dirt. The white shirt, gray sweatpants she wore looked as though they'd been dragged through the mud with almost as many rips and tears as had been carved into her pale flesh. Her wide, almost blank eyes were a muted brown, having faded considerably since the life had seemingly left them some time ago, but when she turned to face the shack again, a single tear trickled down from each of them. I was still somewhat out of it when I finally 
sought out the entrance to the beaten down old building, something that took me some effort to break through. With how the greenery had grown around the place, as well as the heavily moistened dirt that seemed to have risen a good couple of inches up the base of the door, getting inside was no easy task. After digging through a slight ditch in the mud with that side of my boot, while pulling away as much of the brush as I could and tugging at the rusted knob as hard as I could, I managed to break the deadbolt through the dry rotted wood. The interior of the building was maybe ten feet by ten feet, if I were to guess, with little to nothing remaining inside. An old table or desk of sorts, a countertop with ancient bottles of some kind tipped over upon it, and a filthy and faded rug splayed across the wooden floor were all I could make out in between the flashes of light from outside. When I walked back out to see no trace of the girl, I noticed that her shadow remained practically etched into the exterior wall. Just as I was attempting to convince my near-paralyzed vocal cords to ask what it was she wanted me to find, the silhouette appeared to shrink once more. That's what I initially presumed, anyway. After understanding that she did not shrink, but sank, I finally grasped what she was trying to tell me. I ran back in, snatching the old rug from the floor and tipping the ancient desk in the process. When I tugged at the ring recessed in what looked to be some sort of hatch on the floor, it pulled free from the rotten wood before I could even hope to break the door open. When I noticed the slender keyhole next to where the ring had been, I knew I had little chance of getting in there without any tools. I know what you want now, I told the shadow that still gazed out from the outer wall after speeding back to meet her. But I need to get help to open it. Will you allow me to leave? I I swear I'll come back. When the next stab of lightning lit up the world to reveal only the blank wall, I hoped that meant I would be allowed to head back to the highway. Sure enough, within ten to fifteen minutes of weaving in between and around the trees of the dense woods, I broke through the tree line to see cars speeding across the road before me. With the storm finally lighting up, I managed to wave down a ride within a few moments. I chose not to divulge the nature of my request to be dropped off as close to the nearest police department as she could get me to the kind-hearted older woman behind the wheel of her late 90s Honda as it still felt a little too far-fetched to put into words. I was second-guessing myself when she dropped me off in front of the station, given the nature of what led me to that old shack in the first place. Well, what wouldn't let me escape it anyway. Ultimately, I confessed my hitchhiking to the officer at the desk as well as my seeking shelter from the storm, claiming that I picked up a foul odor at the old building I came across. It took some convincing to get them to send me back out there in the back of the police car, something that almost made me nervous when I allowed myself to remember how aggressively I'd broken through that ratty old door. Whatever it was, be it how pitiful I looked in my still-drenched clothes or just the inherent creepiness of ancient buildings nestled away in an otherwise dense forest, they didn't ask any further questions after I guided them back there. It took only a few minutes to get the hatch and the floor open with a little help from a trusty crowbar they brought along. I would have some more questions to answer when they discovered the decades-old remains of what would later to be revealed to be the 14-year-old girl, Andrea Parkman, a girl who'd gone missing from the towns over to the west some 20 years ago. 
Given my age, I could most definitely not be held responsible for the brutal murder of this innocent young girl, but the trace amounts of evidence left with the corpse would eventually lead them to the man who was. While it is not in my place to list the name of the one who apparently tortured, raped, and murdered this poor young lady, it is quite safe to say that he is no longer a well-respected business owner in the very town I found myself that night. Why he had chosen to set up shops so close to where he disposed of the body so many years ago, I can't say. Maybe the sick bastard was proud of his actions, inspiring him to stay close to where he could visit it time to time. There's no telling, I suppose. But suffice it to say, he will finally be getting back what he deserves. Something that may have never happened had I managed to escape the grip of that little shack. Some weeks after finally going back home, I took a drive back to the small city outside which my excursion across the roads of America came to a close. I hung out in town for a while, hit up a movie at the local theater, grabbed some food, and just killed time until night fell. Somehow, if little Andrea Parkman was still out there, I had a feeling I wouldn't be able to see her with the sun shining down overhead. It didn't take long to reach the old shack after parking my dad's old car off the side of the road. Police still had the place roped off behind yellow tape and the like, as I imagine they were still gathering evidence at that point. Still, when the moon's glow cast my shadows against the exterior wall, that sent me running through the woods. It only took a few moments for that second one to manifest beside it. When that silhouetted head stared up at me, I saw no trace of the girl beside me this time, but when the smaller shadow reached out to embrace the taller of the two, I swear I felt that grateful hug as though she'd been there in person. After a few moments like that, those final remnants of the poor, innocent girl whose life was so brutally cut short faded away from my view for the last time. I never returned after that final visit, other than the occasional drive through or past that small town with some further off destinations ahead of me, but I'll never forget that night back in the fall of 98. Given how exhausted, drained I was that day, it's most certainly very possible that I imagined a lot of what I witnessed during that storm. It could easily be argued that While I assumed I was running away from that old shack, I may indeed have just been going in circles, considering I couldn't see much of anything until the lightning struck. It could also be taken for granted that time may well have altered those events, looking back a little over 20 years in my personal history. Whatever the case, whether the spirit of that young girl held me captive until I understood what it was she needed from me, or the story I fed that the police was the way things actually went down, I still believe how I recall the events of that crazy night to have progressed. Either way, regardless of the bit of justice that resulted from that exhausting trip, I can honestly say to this day, I hope to never hitchhike again. No disrespect to Kerouac, or my father for that matter, but... Life on the road is not for me. A Shattered Life by Matt Demersky. I don't know when you're going to read this, 
but I can tell you when it started. I was out for a walk, alone in the woods, when the entity came for me. It was beyond a blur. It was, for lack of a better term, absence of meaning. Where it hid, there were no trees. Where it crept closer, there were no grass. Through the arc, it leapt at me. There was no breeze of motion. There was no air at all. As it struck, I felt the distinct sensation of claws puncturing me somewhere unseen, somewhere I'd never felt before. My hands and arms and legs and torso seemed fine, and I wasn't bleeding, but I knew I'd been injured somehow. As I fearfully ran back home, I could tell that I was less. I was vaguely tired, and it was hard to focus at times. The solution at that early stage was easy. A big cup of coffee helped me feel normal again. For a while, that subtle drain of my spirit became lost in the ebb and flow of caffeine in my system. You could say my life began that week, actually, because that was when I met Mar. She and I got along great, though. To be honest, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her over the phone before we even met. It was almost as if the strong emotions of that first week made the entity fight back. It was still with me latched onto some invisible part of my being. The first few incidents were minor, and I hardly worried about them. The color of a neighbor's car changed from dark blue to black one morning, and I stared at it before shaking my head and shrugging off the difference. Two days later at work, a co-worker's name changed from friend to Dan. I carefully asked around, but everyone said his name had always been Dan figured I'd just been mistaken. Then, as ridiculous as this sounds, I was pissing in my bathroom at home when I suddenly found myself on a random street. I was still in my pajamas, pants down and urinating, but now in full view of a dozen people at a bus stop. Horrified, I pulled up my clothes and ran before someone called the cops. I did manage to get home, but the experience forced me to admit that I was still in danger. The entity was doing something to me, and I didn't understand how to fight back. Mar showed up that evening, but she had her own key. Hey, I asked her with confusion. Uh, how'd you get a key? She just laughed. <laughs> You're cute. You sure you're okay with this? She opened a door and entered a room full of boxes. I know living together is a big step, especially when we've only been dating for three months. Living together? I literally just met her the week before. Thing was, my mother had always called me a smart cookie for a reason. I knew when to shut my yap. Instead of causing a scene, I told her everything was fine. And then I went straight to my room and began investigating. My things there were just as I'd left them, with no sign of a three-month gap in habitation. But I did find something out of the ordinary. The date. I shivered angrily as I processed the truth. The entity had eaten 
three months of my life. What the hell was I facing? What kind of creature could consume pieces of one's soul like that? I'd miss the most exciting part of a new relationship, and I would never understand any shared stories or inside jokes from that period. Something absurdly precious had been taken from me, and I was furious. That fury helped me suppress the entity. I never imbibed alcohol. I drank coffee religiously. I checked the date every time I woke up. For three years, I managed to live each day while observing nothing more than minor alterations. A social fact here and there. Someone's job. How many kids they had. That sort of thing. The layout of nearby streets. The time my favorite television show aired. That kind of thing. Always, those changes reminded me the creature still had its claws sunk into my spirit. Not once in those three years did I ever let myself zone out. One day I grew careless. I let myself really get into the season finale of my favorite show. It was a gripping, fantastic story. Right at the height of the action, a young boy came up to my lounger and shook my arm. Surprised, I asked, Who are you? How did you get in here? He laughed, smiled brightly. (laughs) Silly daddy. My heart sank in my chest. I knew immediately what had happened. After a few masked questions, I discovered that he was two years old and that he... He was my son. The agony and heartache filling my chest was nearly unbearable. Not only had I missed the birth of my son, I would never see or know the first years of his life. Mar and I had obviously gotten married and started a family in the time I'd lost, and I had no idea what joys or pains those years contained. It was snowing outside. Holding my sudden son in my lap, I sat and watched the flakes fall outside. What kind of life was this going to be if slips and concentration could cost me years? I had to get out. The church had no idea what to do. The priests didn't believe me and told me I had a health issue rather than some sort of possession. The doctors didn't have any clue. Nothing showed up on all their scans and tests, but they happily took my money in return for nothing. By the time I ran out of options, I decided to tell Mar. There was no way to know what this all looked like from her side. What was it like when I wasn't there? Did I still take her son to school? Did I still do my job? Clearly I did, because she seemed to be none the wiser, but I still had a horrible feeling that something must have been missing in her life when I wasn't actually home inside my own head. But the night I set up a nice dinner in preparation, she arrived not by unlocking the front door, but by knocking on it. I answered and found that she was in a nice dress. She was happily surprised by the settings on the table. 
fancy dinner for a second date? I knew you were sweet on me. Thank the Lord I knew when to keep my mouth shut. If I'd gone on about being married and having a son, she might have run for the hills. Instead, I took her coat and sat her down for our second date. Through carefully crafted questions, I managed to deduce the truth. This really was our second date. She saw relief and happiness in me, but interpreted that as dating jitters. I was just excited to realize that the entity wasn't necessarily eating the whole portions of my life. The symptoms, as I was beginning to understand them, were more like the consequences of a shattered soul. The creature had wounded me, broken me into pieces. Perhaps I was to live my life out of order, but at least I would actually get to live it. And so, it went on for a few years, from my perspective. While minor changes in politics or geography would happen daily, major shifts in my mental location only happened every couple of months. When I found myself in a new place and time in my life, I just shut up and listened, making sure to get a lay of the land before doing anything to avoid making mistakes. On the farthest flung leap yet, I met my six-year-old grandson, and I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said, writer. Told him that was a fine idea. Then... I was back in month two of my relationship with Mara, and I had the best night with her on the riverfront. When I say the best, I mean the best. Knowing how special she would become to me, I asked her to move in. I got to live through what I'd missed the first go-round, and I came to understand that I was never mentally absent. I would always be there, eventually. When we were moving in her boxes, she stopped for a moment. And she marveled at my great love as if I'd known her for a lifetime and never once doubted she was the one. This was the first time I'd truly laughed, freely and wholeheartedly since the entity had wounded me. She was right about my love for her, but for exactly the reason she'd considered a silly romantic analogy. I had known her my whole life, and I'd come to terms with my situation and found peace with it. Wasn't so bad to have sneak peeks of the best parts ahead. Of course, I wouldn't be writing this if it hadn't gotten worse. The entity was still with me. It had not wounded me and departed like I'd wanted to believe. The closest I can describe my growing understanding was that the creature was burrowing deeper into my psyche, fracturing it into smaller pieces. Instead of months between major shifts, I began having only weeks. Once I noticed that trend, I feared my ultimate fate would be to jump between times in my life heartbeat by heartbeat, forever confused, forever lost. Only an instant in each time meant I would never be able to speak with anyone else, never be able to hold a conversation, never express or receive love. As the true depth of that fear came upon me, I sat in an older version of me and watched the snow falling outside. That was one constant in my life. 
The weather didn't care who I was or what pains I had to face. Nature was always there. The falling snow was always like a little hook that kept me in place. The pure emotional peace it brought was like a panacea on my mental wounds, and I'd never yet shifted while watching the pattern of falling white and thinking of the times I'd gone sledding or built a snow fort as a child. A teenager touched my arm. Grandpa? Eh? He startled me out of my thoughts, so I was less careful than usual. Who are you? He half grinned, as if not sure whether I was joking. Handing me a stack of papers, he said, It's my first attempt at a novel. Would you read it and tell me what you think? (laughs) Of course. Pursuing that dream of being a writer, I see. He burned bright red. No. Trying to, anyway. Alright, run off. I'll read this right now. The words were blurry, and annoyed, I looked for glasses I probably had for reading. Being old was terrible, and I wanted to leap back into a younger year, but not before I read his book. I found my glasses in a sweater pocket and began leafing through. Mar puttered in and out of the living room, still beautiful, but I had to focus. I didn't know how much time I would have here. It seemed that we had relatives over. Was it Christmas? A pair of adults and a couple of kids I didn't recognize tromped through the hallway and I saw my son, now an adult, walk by with his wife on the way out the door. As a group, the extended family began sledding outside. Finally, I finished reading the story and I called out for my grandson. He rushed down the stairs into the living room. How was it? Well, it's terrible, I told him truthfully. But it's terrible for all the right reasons. You're still a young man, so your characters behave like young people, but the structure of the story itself is very solid. I paused. I didn't expect it to turn out to be a horror story. He nodded. It's a reflection of the times. Expectations for the future are dismal, not hopeful like they used to be. You're far too young to be aware like that, I told him. An idea occurred to me. If you're into horror, you know anything about strange creatures? Sure, I, I read everything I can, I love it. Wearily, I scanned the entrances to the living room. Everyone was busy outside for the first time. I opened up to someone in my life about what I was experiencing. In hushed tones, I told him about my fragmented consciousness. For a teenager, he took it well. You're serious? Yes. He donned the determined look of a grown man accepting a quest. I'll look into it, see what I can find out. You should start writing down everything you experience, uh, build some data. Maybe we can map your psychic wound. Wow. That sounds like a plan. 
I was surprised. That made sense, and I hadn't expected him to have a serious response. Well, you get all the notes in one place. Let's come up with somewhere for you to leave them, he said, frowning with the thought. And then I'll get them, and we can trace the path you're taking through your own life to see if there's a pattern. For the first time since the situation had gotten worse, I felt hope again. How about under the stairs? Nobody ever goes under there. Sure. He turned and left for the living room. I peered after him. I heard a banging around near the stairs. Finally, he returned with a box, laid it on the carpet, and opened it to reveal a bursting stack of papers. He exclaimed, Holy crap! But of course, being a teenager, he didn't really say crap. Taken aback, I blinked rapidly, forgiving his cussing because of the shock. Did I... write those? He looked up at me with wonder. Yeah, or you will. You still have to write them and put them under the stairs after this. He gazed back down at the papers, then covered the box. So you probably shouldn't see what they say. That could get weird. That much I understood. Right. He gulped. There are like 50 boxes under there, all filled up like this. Deciphering these will take a very long time. His tone dropped to deadly serious. But I will save you, Grandpa. Because I don't think anyone else can. Tears flowed down my cheeks then, and I couldn't help but sob once or twice. I hadn't realized how lonely I'd become in my shifting prison of awareness until I finally had someone who understood. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then... I was young again, and at work on a random Tuesday. Once the sadness and relief faded, anger and determination replaced them. After I finished my work, I grabbed some paper and began writing. While the weeks shifted around me, while those weeks became days and then hours, I wrote every single spare moment about when and where I thought I was. I put them under the stairs, out of order. My first box was actually the 30th, and my last box was the first. Once I had over 50 boxes written from my perspective, and once my shifting became a matter of minutes, I knew it was up for my grandson to take it from there. I put my head down and stopped looking. I couldn't stand the river of changing awareness any longer. Names and places and dates and jobs and colors and people were all wrong and different. I'd never been older. I sat watching the snow fall. A man of at least thirty that I vaguely recognized entered the room. Come on, I think I finally figured it out. I was so frail that moving was painful. Are you him? Are you my grandson? Yes. He took me to a strange room filled with equipment and then sat me in a rubber chair facing a large mirror twice the height of a man. The pattern finally revealed itself. How long have you been working on this? I asked him aghast. Tell me you didn't miss your life like I'm missing mine. His expression was both stone-cold and furiously resolute. It'll be worth it. 
He brought two thin metal rods close to my arm and then nodded at the mirror. Look, this shock is carefully calibrated. The electric zap from his device was startling but not painful. In the mirror, I saw a rapid, arcing light silhouette appear above my head and shoulder. The electricity moved through the creature like a wave, briefly revealing the terrible nature of what was happening to me. A bulging, leech-like mouth was wrapped around the back of my head, coming down to my eyebrows and touching each ear, and its slug-like body ran over my shoulder and into my very soul. It was a parasite, and it was feeding on my mind. My now adult grandson held my hand as I took in the horror. After a moment, he asked, Removing it is going to hurt very badly. Are you up for this? Fearful, I asked. Is Mar here? His face softened. No. Not for a few years now. I could tell from his reaction what had happened, but I didn't want it to be true. How? We had this conversation a lot, he responded. Are you sure you want to know? It never makes you feel better. Tears brimmed in my eyes. And I don't care if it hurts or if I die. I don't want to stay in a time where she's not alive. He made a sympathetic noise of understanding and then returned to his machines and took several wires, diodes, and other bits of technology to my limbs and forehead. While he did so, he talked. I've worked for two decades to figure this out, and I've had a ton of help from other researchers of the occult. The parasite doesn't technically exist in our plane. It's one of the lesser's known spawns, Ubu, and it feeds on the plexus of mind, soul, and quantum consciousness and reality. When details like names and colors and objects changed, you weren't going crazy. The web of your existence was merely losing strands as the creature ate its way through you. I didn't fully understand. I looked up in confusion as he placed a circlet of electronics like a crown on my head and exact line where the parasite's mouth had ringed me. What's Ubo? He paused his work and grew pale. I forgot that you wouldn't know. You're lucky, believe me. After a deep breath, he began moving again and paced his fingers near a few stitches. Ready? This is carefully tuned to make your nervous system extremely unappetizing to the parasite, but it's basically electroshock therapy. I could still see Mar smile. Even though she was dead, I'd just been with her moments ago. Do it. The click of a switch echoed in my ears and I almost laughed at how mild the electricity was. It didn't feel like anything, at least at first. And then I saw the mirror shaking and my body within that image convulsing. No, it did hurt. Nothing had ever been more painful. It was just so excruciating that my mind hadn't been able to immediately process it. As my vision shook and fire burned in every nerve in my body, I could see the reflected trembling light silhouette of the parasite on my head as it writhed in agony equal to mine. It had claws, six clawed, lizard-like limbs under its leech-like body. 
and it cut into me in an attempt to stay latched on. The electricity made my memories flare. Mars' smile was foremost, lit brightly in front of a warm fire as the snow fell past the window behind her. The edges of that memory began lighting up, and I realized that my life was one continuous stretch of experience. It was only the awareness of it that had been fragmented by that feasting evil on my back. I'd never managed to be there for the birth of my son. I'd jumped around it a dozen times, but never actually lived it. For the first time, I got to hold Mar's hand and be there for her. No, no! That moment had shifted seamlessly into holding her hand as she lay in a hospital bed for a very different reason. Not this. God, why? It was so merciless to make me remember this. I broke down in tears as nurses rushed into the room. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to experience it. I'd seen all the good parts, but I hadn't wanted the worst part. The inevitable end, all in one day face. It wasn't worth it. It was tainted. All that joy was given back ten thousand fold as pain. The fire in my body and my brain surged to sheer white torture and I screamed. My scream faded into a surprised shout as the machine and electricity and chair faded away. Snow was no longer falling around my life. I was out in the woods on a bright summer day. Oh God. I turned to see the creature approaching me. It was the same absence of meaning, the same blank on reality. It crept forward just like before, but this time it hissed and turned away. I stood, astounded at being young again and freed from the parasite. My grandson had actually done it. He'd made me an unappetizing meal, so the predator of mind and soul had moved on in search of a different snack. I returned home in a daze. All while I was sitting there, processing all that had happened, the phone rang. I looked at it in awe and sadness. I knew who it was. It was Marjorie, calling for the first time for some trivial reason she'd admit 30 years later was just made out to talk to me. But all I could see was her lying in that hospital bed, dying. It was going to end in unspeakable pain and loneliness. I would become an old man, left to sit by myself in an empty house, his soulmate gone long before him. At the end of it all, the only thing I would have left sitting and watching the falling snow. But now, thanks to my grandson, I'd also have my memories. It would be a wild ride no matter how it ended. On a sudden impulse, I picked up the phone. With a smile, I asked, Hey, who's this? Even though, I already knew. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I thought they were both really fun, uh, very interesting, and um, I enjoyed them both a whole, whole lot. The second one was a little more of like, maybe not scary in the traditional sense, but definitely scary in the psychological sense. Matt did put an author's note at the bottom 
saying something along the lines of that it was supposed to be representative of Alzheimer's. And I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. Personally, I've never had to deal with a loved one going through that. I hope I never do, and I hope I never have to experience it either. But yeah, I, I could definitely see how it would feel just disconnected from everything, but also connected at the same time. Just not being able to make sense of everything. It's its truly terrifying in its own way. I think it was a really well-written story. Uh, the first one was just more of a cautionary tale as to why you would never go hitchhiking, which I do want to ask. Have you ever hitchhiked? Would you ever do it nowadays? I feel like it was much more prevalent in maybe the 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s. But now people are a little more cautious, a little more scared, <laughs> which maybe is for, for good reason. Who knows? Um, while you're down there answering those questions, I would like to give a quick thank you to all of our $5 patrons and members. So thank you to Absinthe Alice, Amethyst, Amet, Ann Barry, Bubbly Panda, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Frankie Brockway, Furious Weasel, If In Doubt, Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Jess Jess, Justine Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Kathy Flanning, Kelly Sprong, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa B., Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora, Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, PJ Masks, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, Shy Shy 420, Skylar May, The New On Gum 24, Tiger Princess, Tish Love, Triumph, and Victoria Step. Thank you all for the amazing continued support. I really, really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate anyone who shows up watches the videos, leaves a like, shares it with someone they think would like it. You're all amazing and incredible, and I really, really appreciate you. Hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, stay safe out there, and maybe don't take rides from strangers. <laughs> stay safe, everyone.